How are your relationships? Your relationships at home? Your relationships within the church and with other Christians? Your relationships with your kids, your parents or siblings? Your relationships at work? Your relationships in your neighbourhood? Your relationships in your other contexts in life? The biblical book of Philippians that we've just started looking at is all about relationships. It's written by Paul, who has a deep relationship with the Christians at Philippi. It's clear from the letter that some of the relationships in the church at Philippi could do with some work. Those relationships are in view in this book. But more importantly... It's the relationship of the Christians with Jesus that's most significant in the book of Philippians. That's what's most on view. And that's true in our passage today, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Last week, Kieran introduced this series looking at Acts 16, where some people in Philippi became Christians. A range of people in Philippi became Christians, actually. Lydia, we heard about, who was a dealer in purple cloth. We heard about a slave girl and a jailer. That was the story of the birth of the church that Paul is writing to in Philippi. A church that, even from those early days, had very real diversity in it. And it's the context within which Paul forms such a deep bond with the Christians in Philippi. It's that relationship that we see so clearly on view here in this passage. Paul has such a deep affection for this church. He holds them strongly in his heart, or more literally, in his guts. And in this passage where we see Paul greeting the church in Philippi, giving thanks for them and praying for them, we get some glimpses that in this letter he's addressing the relationships between those in the church in Philippi. That's a normal pattern for Paul. His greetings and prayers often relate specifically to what he's addressing within the rest of his letter. So we see that he links himself and Timothy together as servants or slaves of Christ. He addresses the whole church in Philippi in his initial greeting and then repetitively through his thanksgiving. He names the church in Philippi as people who are saints, those who are set apart. This is a letter that has on view the relationships within the church in Philippi. And Paul here is setting the scene for that, subtly but surely. And he's setting the scene, again subtly but surely, for the reality that it's as the Christians in Philippi remember who they are in Christ, that other relationships find their place and all other issues fall into perspective. He's reminding them of their experience of Christ his good work in them, God's bringing them to salvation, 
his grace at work in their lives, the truth of what God has done, and that he can be trusted to keep doing. He's laying that as the foundation to build on later. It's vital for the Christians in Philippi to know and remember who they are in Christ, to remember the good work he has done in them, to know that he will continue that work in them. That's what will impact their relationships with one another. It's vital for us to know and remember who we are in Christ, to remember the good work he's done in us, to know that he will continue that work in us. That's what will impact our relationships with one another and the world. Here Paul's giving thanks for the good work that God has begun in the Christians in Philippi, for their sharing in the gospel. And in that, he's reminding them of what Jesus has done. He's reminding them of who they are in Christ. How do you remember who you are in Christ? And how does that impact the relationships in your life? There's lots that I could say about knowing and remembering who we are in Christ. But today I thought I'd share two experiences that have been pertinent for me with regard to this over recent years. The first came out of a conversation with Malcolm about three years ago. We were talking about something I was wrestling with at the time and he suggested that I pray daily for a while, a particular prayer by John Wesley that we were both familiar with. Some of you will be familiar with the prayer too. I'm no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with who you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low by you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I've made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Three years later, and I'm still praying that prayer most days. And it's slowly but surely transformed my life. It's been a significant part of reminding me who I am and especially whose I am. And shaping my perspective to more fully have God in the centre. No doubt God's been at work in that. It's only ever by God's work and grace that we're changed. It's him who brings the good work he's done in us to completion. No doubt, too, God's been answering the prayer that I've prayed. But also, I've been forming myself in these truths, in this biblical, God-focused perspective, as I've prayed this prayer most days for several years. 
And as I've been forming myself in these truths, in who and whose I am, my life and relationships have been slowly transformed. We're embodied creatures, and what we shape ourselves in shapes us. What we think, say and do really matters, especially what we think, say and do repetitively. Paul remembers what God has done in the Philippians, and by doing that in this letter, he also reminds them of who and whose they are. How are you regularly reminding yourself of who and whose you are? My other experience happened a few months ago and it's completely transformed my life. Many of you will know that there's a range of things about my family background that are tricky. Some based just on the physical realities of things like having profoundly deaf parents some based on a range of things about the brokenness of those around me, and some, of course, based on my own brokenness too. I've done good work on the things that come out of that over time, have no doubt that God's used the counselling, the reflection, the deliberate effort, the insight, the presence of lots of people, and plenty more. God uses all sorts of things to bring us to wholeness. That's certainly been the case for me. But as I continue to pursue God and wholeness, coming out of some circumstances in my life over the last year or so, I had a specific encounter with God that took what I knew at some levels so, so much deeper and has transformed my way of being and my relationships in a profound way. As I wrestled with some relationships and with their impact on me, I felt God lead me to look at what it was that made me insecure in how I related in those contexts. He used my psychological understanding to show me the core issue around attachment. Then he used my theological understanding to have me see that this was actually unnecessary insecurity because of the reality of my attachment and belonging in Jesus. And then he used my lived experience of that reality to make me see that I was living in the relationships with myself and others in ways that were unnecessarily insecure, not only because of what I knew intellectually about who I was in Christ, but also because of the deep experience I had of that relationship. It was in that moment that everything changed. Suddenly this deep experienced truth was applied to my life and it transformed me. The truth that I'm in Christ, that I'm firmly attached to him, means that I'm secure. And that security transforms all of my relationships with myself, others and the world. That takes some living out. Old habits are still there. But at a deep and very real level, everything 
has changed. And it's that type of experience of knowing that they're in Christ, the lived reality of the good work that God has done in them, that Paul's giving thanks for in this passage and reminding the Philippians of. Recognising the importance of their lived grasp of that to all of their life, and especially in this letter, to their relationships. As he states what he gives thanks to God for, Paul reminds the Christians in Philippi of their status as people who are in Christ. In this, he's laying a foundation for the fact that this should impact how they relate with one another. As well as encouraging the Christians in Philippi to know that they're in Christ, Paul reminds them of their partnership in the gospel. They share in the gospel with him. They're partners in the spreading of the gospel with him. They're also partners with one another in the gospel. The Christians in Philippi have been supporting Paul financially, practically and in prayer. So that support and partnership has been very tangible. But it's also a partnership that the Christians in Philippi have with one another as well as with Paul. And it's also the partnership that we have with one another. We're partners in the gospel. We share as recipients of the good news as people who are in Christ. And we together are partners as we work together in sharing that good news with others. Together being focused on Jesus and living and sharing the good news with others brings a bond like none other. Many of you know that I've spent lots of my life involved specifically with mission within Australia. Local neighbourhood mission, empowering people in mission, beach missions, camps for young people, drop-in centres where the good news of Jesus is shared. There's nothing like the partnership that comes as you're working together to share the good news of Jesus in a given context. It's one of the things that I love about those kinds of situations. Of course, some of this camaraderie comes from working together on any project. But there's another level of it that comes when we're in partnership around Jesus and sharing this life-transformative reality of the good news with others. It's the kind of partnership that we together have as we seek to play each of our parts in growing young at St Philip's. As we partner together to pray, give and act to see young people in our area come to know Jesus. That's partnership in the gospel. It's the kind of partnership that many of us have experienced as we've engaged with the Making Disciples Who Make Disciples course on Wednesday nights. Together being equipped to live and share the good news of Jesus with a world that desperately needs it. This week a few of us were at the commissioning of a priest who's been a little connected with St Philip's into his new ministry at the Bauga Mirabuka Parish. 
At each point where John Cornish, the priest, was commissioned into his role, the words in the liturgy not only commissioned John to those roles and responsibilities, but indicated that those responsibilities were also the bishops who was commissioning him. Partnership in the gospel again. And today we've heard a range of things about the church in Calabi from Graham. And again, that's another example of our partnership in the gospel with the people in Calabi and South Sudan. Not only are the Christians in Philippi in Christ, they share in the gospel together. They're partners in the gospel, in joining together, in sharing the good news in the world. Once again, this lays the foundation for their unity. They're in Christ and together they share in the gospel and are partners in the gospel. This lays the foundation for their unity, for our unity. We're partners in the gospel. The section of the letter that we're considering today finishes with a a prayer from Paul for the Philippians. And again, while it could and would be meant generally, relationships are in view. Paul acknowledges their love and prays that it would overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help them determine what is best so that in the day of Christ they may be pure and blameless, having produced a harvest of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. What kind of knowledge will help them do that? Knowledge of who they are in Christ, knowledge that they're partners in the gospel, knowledge that the God who has begun a good work in them will bring it to completion. And what kind of insight? Insight that's grounded in the fact that they're in Christ. Insight that sees themselves as partners in the gospel. Insight that sees that God has been and will continue to be at work in them. Insight that's given by the Spirit of God. It's that knowledge and insight that Paul is praying for so that their love, their relationships might produce good fruit, the kind of fruit that brings glory to God. So how are your relationships, particularly your relationships with other Christians? How would they be impacted by you remembering more firmly who you are in Christ and by you grasping more firmly your partnership with them in the gospel? And by you praying for more knowledge and insight so that your love might overflow more and more and so that you might be able to determine what is best so that fruit might grow in those relationships, the kind of fruit that will bring glory to God. Let's pray. God, thank you for the good work that you did in the Christians in Philippi. And thank you for the good work that you have begun in us. Thank you that you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Thanks that we are in Christ 
that we are found in you, that we are deeply attached to you. Help us to grasp the truth of that more and more and for that to impact every aspect of our lives, including all of our relationships. Thanks that we share in the gospel, that we're partners in the gospel. Help us to remember that reality and to live more deeply as partners in that good news. And with Paul, we pray that our love might overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help us determine what is best so that in the day of Christ, we might be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Amen.